I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. All right, people, it is going off track, and the Stump Town coffee is flowing. Oh, my God. Jonah, you, are you, have you literally almost gone through two of those? So we, I have, like, yeah, like maybe an ounce left in my second one. You're drinking concentrated Dude. caffeine. And I haven't really eaten anything except I had a kale shake. I don't know I how you are even coherent. If I drink one, all of one of those, I feel like I'm coked out of my head. No, I feel weird. I feel, <laughs> I, it's hard to explain how I feel. <laughs> Do you feel awake? <laughs> Pick an adverb. I feel like I've like a heightened, like my senses are heightened. Right. Like Your nerves are all a little twitchy. Yeah. I mm-hmm. need some sense heightening. I Dude. need some daredevil in a glass. Try some of this. Let it be known that we're definitely not sponsored by Stumptown. But we, no, wa- but we any, want to we be. be. I, we do get, they do bring us some here at the studio and I love it and I drink it all the time. But Here at Rubber Tracks in Williamsburg, Brooklyn? Yes. So, no, yeah. <laughs> beautiful Rubber Tracks. Um. Yeah, I feel like if I had another one, I would... Have a heart attack? Yeah, I would maybe have a heart attack. (laughs) Don't. I just feel like, uh, I don't know, like everything seems loud and kind of (laughs) echoey. Kids, don't don't try this at home. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, who knows? I don't know. It could all be in my head. But uh, Speaking of things in your head, (laughs) terrible segue for a great person. Uh, James Dewey's. James Dewey's. All right, all his bands. Awesome podcast. Uh, Coalesce. Uh huh. Newfound Glory. Get Up Kids. My Chemical Romance. Reggie and the Full Effect. His new band with Matt Pryor. Yeah, which is Matt and James. Matt and James. Um, band with Frankie from My Chem. Right. Deep Spells. Is that what it was? I can't remember. He says it in the podcast. He says so it. We're just trying to sound is there smart here. Else? Well, there's Common Denominator. Common Denominator. That's kind of part of yeah. Reggie. And then there's that techno one he does. Fluctuations. Is that it? Um, Damn it. But it's funny. Yeah. Dude, I literally, like, I think, I can't. You can't think you're shaking now? (laughs) (laughs) Too much coffee. I feel like if I hadn't had this, that would be right in the tip of my tongue. And I'm like, (laughs) these synapses aren't working. (laughs) They're firing firing too quickly. Yeah, it's firing too fast. You're too Um, smart. I can't go anywhere near that, man. I can't drink. Like a Diet Coke without getting edgy and really? jittery. I'm bad on caffeine. It's not my jam. But I'm great on orange juice. Although last night I, I, I took a vitamin C pill, which I do a lot, to stem off sickness. And then I ate, because I've decided to diet, 
half a bag of dark chocolate covered pomegranates because that's that's dieting right that's healthy yeah you're eating fruit i didn't realize you know if you drink too much vitamin c like your stomach starts to hurt Ooh. so i did that and i was like all of a sudden sitting there watching tv and went oh oh no oh god this is happening but you know like when you're going to be sick but you're aware so you have that like separation of okay this uh, this is that feeling maybe you're feeling that now jonah no i don't feel sick okay Wait, so how did this story end? Yeah, what happened? Uh, I didn't up? throw up, mm-hmm. which was kind of, which was, I'll do anything to not throw up. I think most people will, but I, I hate Isn't that weird? I hate because that. it usually solves the problem. I guess it's because it can be dreadfully painful to throw up sometimes. It's never, it's, I feel like the idea of it's always worse. Then you do it and you're like, that was not that bad. Yeah, except that it seems then, like whenever I do it, I, you ever that super violent where it hurts your chest bone oh yeah oh my god i don't like that i got food poisoning or some kind of virus so bad that i had to be taken away in an ambulance uh because i was just like you know when you throw up and then you feel better yeah there was no feeling better it just kept going uh-huh. and this was like long this was some exorcist project- projectile vomiting where you realize oh they weren't just making that up people throw up this way <laughs> from a standing position flowing out of your mouth like stand by me this is horrifying oh it's the worst and uh, then I go to the hospital and I'm like, give me something, please. And they just, this nurse was just like, just not reacting, just <laughs> screaming, yelling. And then I started throwing up again and it was just so violent and I'm convulsing. It's horrible. That's, that is the worst. And then there's nothing left and you just keep convulsing. Yeah. Oh my God. Why and are we talking about this? <laughs> well, because that's, that's how this began. Because that's what happens if you don't go to rehab. Now, yeah. I know a lot of you tune in just to listen to the first few minutes of us and our funny little anecdotes here. So, And a lot of you forward because you have half a brain. You should yeah. really... I know a lot of you do that even though no one's ever told any of us that they've done that. I know there's a lot of you out there. Just tune in for the three of us. But yeah. really, this is a great podcast. It's hilarious. So if you forward it to us this point right now, here's James DeWeese. Yeah, there's a guest on after us. Just that point. <laughs> James DeWeese. For those of you listening, uh, Mr. James DeWeese is in, and right as we walked in, we said, Hey, James, why, why did you break up Mike Hem? And then you went on this tirade of how you think you're the curse of death of bands. Well, no, that's what, well, I, I guess so. I was saying that. <laughs> Including know. Reggie in the full effect. Yeah, I cursed myself. What about Coalesce? Uh, no, I played the drums in that. Only as a keyboard player am I the curse of death in bands. But no, that was, you know, that's, everybody think, well, not everybody. Um, I don't know whether this is all in my mind or whatever, but it seems like people associate keyboard players with a different style of music than, like, say, you know, you're in a, a rock band and you want to expand, you know, your songwriting. So you add in, like, an organ part or a piano part or a synthesizer part or whatever. But for a lot of fans listening to that, they're like, no, like, no, no, no synthesizers. No. Like, that's why I made a hat that said keyboards are for pussies. Um, it was actually a quote from Sebastian Bach on Headbangers Ball one night. It was like, keyboards are for pussies. He also, he also had the no fat chicks. Or wait, what? No, he, no. Some, AIDS, he had yeah. AIDS kills fag dead t-shirt. Yeah. That they, so that guy's got a good perspective on things. They yeah. made him apologize for it like the next night during 120 minutes. Really? Yeah, like he had to like break, you know, break into 120 minutes, and it was like Sebastian like, I'm sorry, had that shirt on. Uh, it's not my shirt. It was a French shirt because I didn't have any shirts. <laughs> Can you see? Can you I just, walking out like this shirt's not offensive, is yeah. it? <laughs> What's this shirt say? Oh, it says it, it says hooray for me. Like, <laughs> 
I mean, you could find a bunch of illiterate people and put them in really disgusting, offensive shirts and tell them what it says. And then when they walk around, they're like, "Well, I always figured the shirts from the '80s, the Japanese shirts that everybody wore. Remember that? Like, there was this big thing in the '80s. Everybody wore Japanese T-shirts, like or shirts with like characters on them. And I figured they probably all said like <laughs> "round-eyed douchebag" or whatever <laughs> the fuck. <laughs> like they must- write that down as a band name immediately. <laughs> round-eyed douchebag. I have some friends who like graduated college and went and taught in Japan and like did this tour of Asia and they sent back this photo and apparently you know just I guess every cast off t-shirt in the world is you know sent out of this country uh, out of the out of, not the world but out of the US so there's a picture of these people in I want to say Tahiti they took them on a boat ride and they went and got some locals to take the boat ride and it was some island where um, you know if your, your teeth aren't flat that's 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 a bad sign for a bad spirit so this whole island would like file their teeth flat so it's them standing with these two kids who took them on a boat tour of this island and the kids smiling with these teeth that just fit perfectly like a Simpsons character. And he had on a t-shirt that just said 12 inches of swinging meat. <laughs> <laughs> they had no idea what he read, but that was on the shirt. That's, and my goofy friends just down there smiling next to him. Hmm. Brilliant. So maybe Sebastian, you know, is Polynesian. <laughs> yeah, I, but when I walked around Japan, I've, I, I'd never been to one of those stores where they sell like you know the, the guys you see here, like the any kind of like swap meet, and there's like Japanese dudes with duffel bags buying blue jeans and t-shirts, and I always wonder like what the f is going on. But I finally found some of those stores in Japan where it's like a Rambo t-shirt, like from the movie, with not even like a picture of Sylvester Stallone, but a cartoon picture of him <laughs> that's like three hundred dollars. Where you're like. What? Like, <laughs> that shirt sucks. I mean, it's amazing for how bad it is. But 300 bucks. Yeah, they scooped it up. And they have a guy making, like, minor threat t-shirts in the back. And they want, like, 500 bucks for that. And then, you know, people walk in and buy it. $500. Minor threat. Like, okay. Like, wow. You know, I should open up a bad American t-shirt shop in Japan. And, and you could call it that. Bad, bad American, American t-shirt shop. That would probably make it even cooler. Yeah. <laughs> it was Bad American T-shirt Shop. Are you, are you from Kansas? Uh, Missouri. Missouri, okay. Yeah, Got Kansas it. City's confusing to a lot of people. Yes, of course. Because it's split down a river. Right. Well, not really sp- split down a river. It's just split down a state. Mm-hmm. There's a road called State Line that, uh, you know, you can buy beer on Sundays on one side of it. On the other side, you can't. Oh. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm from Kansas City, Missouri. Kansas okay. City, Kansas... Uh, it's not really a town anymore, right? And you were in, uh, you were you were in Colas before the get up. Yeah, Colas okay. was uh, got kicked out of college for playing in Colas for going on my first trip to New York, and we played uh, CMJ like nineteen ninety five, like the fall, and uh, got kicked out of college that year. Um, because they didn't like the band? No, well, because I'd missed too much school. Because ah. Cole S was based out of Kansas City. So I would drive back from Columbia, Missouri and go to band practice stuff. Then we did like tour and played a couple shows in Kansas City. But, you know, I was late to class and it's a music department. So attendance really mattered. No. And uh, came up and did a show. I missed Friday afternoon and I was back at school on Monday. And then the following Thursday to drive back to Kansas City to do a split with Napalm Death. <laughs> which was super cool to me at 19 years old. It was like, you know, I got a call from uh, Barney from Napalm Death from the UK where he was like, good luck, mate. And it was just like, mom, 
<laughs> Mom, it's Barney from Napalm Death on the phone. Just made my year. And she's like, I don't know who that is. I don't like the name. <laughs> but uh, when I got back to college, you know, and it was telling my advisor, who was also the chairman of the music department, like, look what I've done. Like, we're making a CD. It's coming out. And he's like, oh, well, okay, I got, I got news for you. <laughs> um, was it so a conservatory? I, yeah. Oh, he was wow. like, you either drop out. Or I kick you out and you, he's like, you either drop out and keep your GPA or I kick you out and you lose it. So I was like, okay, drop out. What instrument was it? Uh, I was there for percussion. Oh, wow. Yeah. Percussion. And then like, I went to a school before that called William Jewell College, which is like a private college in Liberty and was there for like singing and percussion and stuff. But when I got to the larger school, the way, like the workload was so much more insane where, you know, they, it's, I was doing more work then, like, in college, of all the extracurricular stuff you have to go to, like, orchestra performances. You have to do, you know, um, ensemble practices, plus you have to do solo rehearsals. And to add that on with choir, too, it would have just been nuts. Because I was also delivering pizzas, so. (laughs) (laughs) What, um, this was, like, obviously this was a time way before the internet. And I remember hearing in zines when you were in Coalesce, like this story, like a Wilkesbury fest or something. Oh yeah, <laughs> you threw your drums in the crowd, and some girl got hit. And I never, it was like everyone would talk about it, but no one knew it really happened, and oh. there was no internet. So yeah, I, I've was, always wondered about people are this. getting pages about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they were like something happened. Well, one one one. Yeah, because yeah, this it, was a long time ago, I guess. Yeah, it was uh, the last show of Coalesce. It was actually the first time that Coalesce and Up Kids had ever really played together. Um, And I didn't really know them then. It was, like, really one of the first times I hung out. And, uh, like, we'd done a show in Detroit at the Detroit Fest where during a song, like, you know, I just threw my floor tom up in the air and then jumped up and grabbed it, like, and flew out out into the crowd with it and then made it back on stage and finished the song. So we had the idea that, you know, we were just going to destroy everything. And in the heat of the moment... Like, I just took the floor, I don't know why, I took the floor tom behind my head and threw it as hard as I could, and it made it all the way across the firehouse, and I remember seeing it fly across, and it was like, oh, shit, (laughs) and as soon as the show was done, like, I go running through the crowd, and this poor girl is sitting there at the merch table, um, and she's got an ice pack on her head, and... Every most hated person <laughs> in Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania that day. The promoter called the cops to have me arrested for assault. Um and like and then while I'm trying to, you know, see what happened, all these people are stealing everything <laughs> from the where the like the stuff that wasn't broken, people are like just taking it and running off with it. And I'm like, oh so Jim from the Get Up Kids helped me chase down the kid that was running out with my snare. So while I was sitting with this girl, Jim runs up and he's like, James, they're taking all your stuff. <laughs> and so we'd run out, get back like, I think like two pieces of my drum set. But uh, I, was, I told the girl, like, you know, I was like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. Like, I'll take you to the hospital. Let's go get you checked out. You know, I'll pay for everything. Like, this is totally my fault. And she's like, it's okay. And she's like, why did you do that? And I was like, I didn't do it on purpose. Like, I didn't throw it at you. <laughs> It's like, I didn't mean for it to hit anybody or hurt anybody, but, uh, she had a nice, like, big ass lump on her head. Um, I gave her so much merch, um, <laughs> uh, not just my band, like, she got everybody's merch. <laughs> I was calling in favors from every band, like, 
I remember like Hot Water Music, the Get Up Kids. Um, then uh, I remember her boyfriend wanted Converge, a Converge hoodie. So, you know, knew those guys. So it was like, can I please have a hoodie? I gotta, <laughs> and they're like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> Wait, is, she, I, is she still calling you for merch? No. <laughs> I had a lady like that, though. She shows up every time like we would play around D.C., Baltimore. And she would come to the merch table. She did it like six times before we caught her. And she's like an older woman. You know, she's there with her kids, supposedly. <laughs> she uh, kept coming up being like, you know, when we used to do the fake blood with one of the Reggie Group's common denominator, she'd be like, you ruined my daughter's brand new white, like, Gucci hoodie. And it's, it's brand new. You ruined it. And like, oh, God, I'm sorry. So she would do that to everybody in the band. Tour manager, merch guy, me, guitar players, bass player, drummer. Like, and everybody would give her another hoodie. And... <laughs> It was just bizarre because then she, she walked out with five hoodies. Well, I used to, you I know, like Steve would be like, "Fuck off." I don't think she ever got looker. Okay, but uh, she, because I think she would do the same thing. She'd be like, "Yeah, yeah, totally. like you knew what you're getting into." <laughs> but, um, I remember, like, I was dressed up in a, one of the costumes, and she's like, "Hey, are you and Reggie in the full effect?" And I was like, "Yeah," and she's like, "Well, my daughter's hoodie," and I was like, "Got ruined by the blood." And she's like, yeah. And I was like, we didn't do blood tonight. <laughs> and she's like, um, and I was like, you hit me up like two nights ago for this. Like, I'm on to you now. <laughs> and yeah. You get a shirt, not a It's hoodie. Reggie That's merch. Like, who fun. gives a crap? Like, really? You want six of these? Like, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you started out as a drummer. Yeah. Wow. Well, I, you know, uh, I started out playing guitar and singing in a band in high school. No. Started out playing drums. No. Playing bass in a band in high school, and then switching to drums because we couldn't find a drummer, and then from drums uh, switching to guitar and singing because I was sick of playing drums. Yeah. So how did? Because that was so weird when you joined the Get Up Kids. I remember, like, first of all, this is such a guitar-driven band, and and then also to the drummer for Coalesce is playing keyboards. Yeah. Like, how did that kind of come together? Uh, well, I lived with Robin Ryan in Kansas City. And uh, we would go. I was the only one that was old enough to really go out and drink. So, and this is like really right around the time I started drinking because I didn't really, you know, I never drank in high school or anything. And uh, so when it's brand new, you know, you don't get hungover. You don't. And it's just, it's just great. <laughs> and I would get off work at Pizza Hut. They would call me, or I'd call them, and figure out what kind of pizza to bring home and what kind of beer to stop and get. <laughs> And so we would sit, Ryan and Rob had a piano, and we would sit around the piano and eat pizza, drink beer, and make up songs, and just, you know, it was fun. But, uh, I remember, like, Matt Pryor lived up the street, and he would come down, and he had asked me, you know, he's like, I have these songs, you know, I want to put some piano in some of these songs, like, will you help me write this since you play piano? And, uh, I remember sitting down, and then it was like, I went to the studio with him, and I think the first thing I ever played piano on was Ann Arbor. And, uh... Then it was kind of like to start going to rehearsals, start recording more. And then, you know, it was going to coalesce, practice less, going to get a kid, practice more. And then all of a sudden, you know, with coalesce, it was like Sean and Jess had a blowout. So the band was breaking up again. And it was like, you know what? I'm just going to play with the get up kids now. And just started playing with them. And then went on tour at the drive in and it was like, their keyboard player also plays guitar. <laughs> like, hmm, maybe, maybe I could do that. And it was like, no, just add more keyboards. And it kind of became a little insane with Get Up Kids because it was like, 
If you look at like keyboard players in the '80s rock bands, like you take Nick Rhodes from Duran Duran, who's got like twelve keyboards. You know these walls of keyboards. Or I don't know the guy from Bon Jovi's name. It's Tony Fields. Is that it? I have no idea. Damn it! He's got that sweet hair. Yeah, that sounds like too normal of a name. Yeah, it it's New know? Jersey though. You yeah, know, that's I mean, true. The guy who he writes musicals. Yeah, like yeah. well, um, he he still rocks four. Yeah, like and uh, what sounds can't you get on one? <laughs> that's the, well, and even now you can split them into like you know you could split an eighty-eight key keyboard most of the time into like eight to sixteen different keyboards. So really, you've got you know all you need right there in one. Just having a bunch looks cool. Yeah. Like my setup with MCR was like six because <laughs> you got a big riser to yeah. fill. It's like I got lots of drums. Anytime I see like a keyboard player that's on a riser with like a micro Korg, like you know these little miniature like shoebox sized keyboards, mm-hmm. it's like they better have sweet dance moves <laughs> or it's just a waste of space <laughs> because you got like an eight by eight <clears throat> riser and a real skinny like hip looking dude with like awesome boots. <laughs> who's like playing this keyboard that runs on batteries trying to look cool and it's like you know what looked real sweet 20 of those little keyboards <laughs> like no one would have messed with you you know because then you're like rick wakeman all of a sudden yeah. like, just, like you know why is, why is the guys that who, i would be on like the internet going like that dude's got 20 microcorgs dude it's like in the old days when they would put up walls of fake marshals you oh, know yeah. behind the band now, but with keyboards get fake keyboards yeah and not even plug dude i went to the show like i there was no midi cords coming out of any of those keyboards except for the one mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah they're all just shells did you ever yeah. rock did you ever try the guitar i did on the very first registry the original roland ax1 guitar that uh only ran on midi and this was before they started making like MIDI cables long. So the longest one I could find, and this was like, you know, scouring music stores in every city. It was like, I need like a 50 foot MIDI cable. And the guy's like, I need a yacht. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so I had like eight foot, I think nine, nine feet was the max. That's so on stage, I had to keep my MIDI module like right next to me. But anytime I would rock out MIDI cable right out of the module. So we play in the show and, you know, I want to rock out like the guitar players thinking that it looks just as cool, you know, kidding myself. And all of a sudden, like I'm playing and the keyboard part's gone. And look, oh, I pulled the MIDI keyboard out. (laughs) So plug it back in, play a little bit, kind of get lost in the music, pull it back out. Like, just didn't work. (laughs) What was it like writing? Like, I remember hearing the live at the Granada Theater record and I... Obviously, you played keyboards on the songs before they had a keyboard player, like Coming Clean or anything. What was it like writing parts for songs that kind of already existed? You follow the bass line. Yeah? Yep. That's that, I did it for Get Up Kids. I did it at Newfound Glory. It was like, you just follow the bass line. And then in choruses, um, I, I mean, it's, it's a trick that a lot of bands use live anyways, but... Uh, and choruses, usually like a, a B th- like a Hammond B3 organ sound, always fits right because the frequencies fit like right in with where the bass is the low, the guitar is the mid. There's like an in-between right there. It's called a low mid. And um, <laughs> the keyboards can fit right in there, so it just makes the sound even fuller. Like, you know, if you think like the rock bands that you go see now as they get on a bigger scale, like, you know, take Green Day, who... You know, they are a great three-piece pop-punk band, but when they play, like, their big arena hits, they bring out the keyboard player, you know, and he sits and plays and fills in those gaps to give it that huge, like, kind of wall 
And uh, that was sort of what I was doing with Get Up Kids. We weren't really making a wall, though. <laughs> um, and also, like, <laughs> I was on the side of the stage facing sideways because there's no room for keyboards in small clubs. Yeah. Like, if you have a four-piece band and then a kid playing like a... Did you ever see Murder by Death way back in the day? Like, And that kid would lug around that 88-key Roland and try to set it up flat. I remember talking to him in Iowa once, and I was like, you got to turn that thing, man. And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, you want to fit on stage? Let's like, yeah, see how uncomfortable you are. And he's like, yeah, it really kind of sucks. He's <laughs> like, because there's no room for you on that stage. The stage is small. Turn the keyboard sideways. And I remember he tried it, and he's like, but now I can't see anybody. I was like, what's the sacrifice? <laughs> sacrifice is you don't get to look at anybody. It's like, but sometimes it's a blessing. <laughs> Not having to face anybody. You're just facing a wall. It's all going to tell you. You suck. Like, come on. <laughs> Wall never flips you off. See, if I put Steve next to it, then we haven't had any of those problems. Yeah, that's true. Um, <coughs> so Get Up Kids, so let's, uh, when you and I met, wasn't Get Up Kids, it was Reggie. Yeah. And uh, you had this video um, for Congratulations Smack and Caddy. The peanut butter and jelly video. Peanut butter and jelly. You know, supposedly two of those costumes are still at Fuse. Probably not. Because they... Oh, you think, like, well, so I remember they shipped, there's two in, at the Vagrant office in their storage, and then I remember they shipped the other peanut butter and jelly costume to New York for that TV show thing. Dude, so, all right, this is funny. So we played this video, and, and James would come by a lot, and he's James, and he's fun, so we're like, just, just have him back by. You, like, co-hosted yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah, you yeah. hung out, you was basically on-air talent at Fuse. Yeah. And, like, if I wasn't there, like, James would come in, it was I was fun. always there. Yeah, you were hanging all the time. So somebody there uh, had this idea to take peanut butter and jelly and make it into a TV show pilot. And they brought James in, and they hired like all these writers and stuff. And oh, they what did was it. the kid's name? Chris Wild. Chris Wild. Yeah, he played peanut butter. And it was like it was really fucked up. It was like they had some girl playing jelly, and periodically, like jelly would just shoot out. Yeah. <laughs> it was really weird. Did this air? And it wasn't no. jelly. It was like hair gel. Yeah. Remember? Uh, it was like, because she got it all over me for the pilot. Like, you know, they interviewed Paco. Mm -hmm. And then she shot goo all over me. <laughs> and I remember, like, having it in my hands. I was like, what is this? And she's like, I think it's hair gel. There was, like, no concept for it. It was like a weird talk show with peanut butter and jelly. Yeah, I couldn't figure it out. No. Probably why it didn't work. I would watch I would, that. Yeah. <laughs> now it's like something that'll show up on like Netflix. Oh, yeah. Like the whole season of one episode that I don't even know. Like, what was the point of the show? I did. I wasn't I mean, involved. There, I, I remember stepping back on you guys have a lot of fun. I'm going to be over here trying to hope that James doesn't strangle a peanut butter jar. I, remember I, could, I was like, oh, well, for me, it was like living in Kansas City and I was newly divorced. So. Any trip to New York City was a good trip to like to get out of Kansas City. Ever coming to New York, and it was like, oh, you know, we're going to tape a pilot for a uh, peanut butter and jelly TV show. And it was like, that sounds just as bizarre as it sounds. It's <laughs> like, but I'm in. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll be there. Did you study? I mean, because when Reggie performed, it's so visual. Like, like there's all kinds of stuff going on between everybody on stage dressed like Paco. Between you coming out with a little um, tiny toy forerunner. Yeah, that was and, pretty sweet. That was yeah. my, my favorite one was uh, I had a toy uh, uh, Power Wheels fire truck and it was Reggie opening up for Newfound Glory. 
and we were at Webster Hall, and it was right around my birthday. So I'm in my little fire truck, and my little fireman's out in, you know, like the short shorts, like no shirt, little fireman's hat, driving across the stage, and the thing actually sprayed water. So I'm like spraying water on the crowd, singing these funny techno songs. And as I'm doing like the first song, the fire department busts in like to Webster Hall. And I was like, oh, this is going to be amazing. This must be like some kind of gag newfound glory is playing on me. Right. Like these must be strippers or something. So I'm like, hey, boys, like bring it over here. <laughs> and they're like, everybody get the fuck out. And it's like, what's going on? Wait, is this for real? Like, and it was for real. They were shutting the club down. So I'm now the most pathetically embarrassed person in there because I'm getting thrown out of Webster Hall by the fireman in my little outfit <laughs> carrying my power wheels down like two flights of steps. And then I remember seeing it on the news later that night and there I am, <laughs> like all these firemen, like these New York City firefighters, you know, they're like directing us and getting us out of there because they were worried the cave was going to collapse or the roof was going to collapse. Wow. Because of everybody jumping up and down so much. So I'm walking out on the street with my little hat on and my stupid <laughs> outfit. And, uh, you know, if me and, like, another one, like, I don't remember if it was a fan or if it was a crew guy, but, like, carrying the fire truck on our shoulders. <laughs> and these fire, and like, a news lady talking and the firemen. And I just remember seeing it being like, oh, God, like, this is so bad. <laughs> I mean, it is pretty funny. <laughs> Funny makes it worse. And then Common Denominator was always funny. Yeah, that that's just become kind of like this weird, different version of uh, Guar. Like, where, you know, Guar is so known for, like, the fake blood and and just, you know, the crazy get-ups and everything. Like, uh, Common Denominator just has become known with covering everybody in blood and then either paying someone to clean up a club or us being there till 3 o'clock in the morning scrubbing a club. Yeah, weren't you not allowed to do it someplace? Yeah, well, with Alkaline Trio, uh, we did it like the first night, and then their tour manager came in and was like, blood ends, no more. Because it took like 45 minutes. Everything was... I didn't realize like what... Because I'm busy singing and whatever. I don't know what the other dudes are doing. And I guess it was everywhere. Like every cable, every monitor. Uh, um, and so when like Skiba came out on stage and like went to grab something, was like, what the hell? <laughs> and stuff doesn't come off that way. I mean it no. washes off with soap and water but it leaves a big red like stain so anything that it touches turns bright red so you end up with like rosy red palms or you have rosy red cheeks <laughs> uh, rosy red shirts rosy red pants it's, surprised that Auckland Trio would be opposed to that if they, I think if it was their blood it would be different <laughs> but because this was opening band blood <laughs> that, and they were and he didn't even get a chance to like get into the show. Like, I mean, someone was like, "Hey, yeah, yeah, what the fuck?" Like, you know, <laughs> wasn't ready for it. And then I remember like asking him later on the tour, like, "Can we please do Blood tonight? It's a big show." And he was like, "Yeah, just <laughs> keep it off of certain things." And I remember I had to tell everybody, like, these are meetings that are just amazing to say that I've had, where it's like, okay, full effect, guys, like. No blood in the monitors. <laughs> no throwing blood at people on the side of the stage. No blood at the monitor guys. No blood on any kind of cabling running across the front of the stage. Blood, keep to yourself. <laughs> like, what if someone's sitting on the stage? Can we throw blood on them? <laughs> well, so people like get into it and they want to be covered in blood, and right. it's so weird because it's like 
you know, kids that could hate the band that show up just to get covered in blood. <laughs> they want to. We have a, a just guy, to find every Guar fan. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's you know, it's people that show up like I'm just going for the experience, which is like that's cool. I mean, you still paid twenty bucks, so <laughs> right on. But uh, I remember there's a kid in Philly that we call Bloody Guy who shows up in blood. And would be like outside in like December, waiting to get into a Reggie show, covered in fake blood and like his underwear, pre-bloodied. Yeah, you and hope it's fake. He killed someone, and he needed an alibi. Well done. <laughs> we used to take him out to bars. <laughs> <laughs> like no one stands in your way. Like, you're walking into a bar. Uh, we're all like the you know, naked kid covered in blood. Yeah, lead the way. No, we would take him out. I remember his name's Chris, and poor Chris. One night we took him out in Philly, and. uh I remember it was like, all right, we're at the bar. Bar was kind of, it was okay. So we're like, let's go to the strip club. And so we're like, where's Bloody Guy? And I think he was somewhere. So he just left Bloody Guy at the bar. <laughs> I remember like we got to the strip club and it was like, where's Bloody Guy? And we're like, oh, we must have left him at the bar. And we're like, well, that's got to be the most awkward thing. <laughs> Suddenly you're all alone in yeah. your underwear covered, covered in blood. blood. <laughs> Surrounded by drunk people who were like, uh-huh. No. <laughs> I, I ask about the visual stuff, like, because one, it's it's so amazing. And two, you like single handedly upset me with the video for Get Well Soon. That's what the Loch Ness, Loch Ness Monster. Monster. That video is so sad and so awful. And it's it's basically Loch Ness Monster, you know, is gets his heart broken and just falls into misery while in the background James is just singing like this really poppy techno song. And you're only in the video for a little bit. Yeah. But it's this puppet, and it's horrifying. <laughs> well, it's the Loch Ness Monster gets divorced, because this was right around when I got divorced. So the Loch Ness Monster gets divorced, and his wife gets the lock. So he has to relocate. So he moves to uh, Toronto. <laughs> As you do. And, 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 yeah, with the big lake. And, um, so he's uh, like roaming around Toronto, getting wasted but kind of like everything's like a reflection on what i was up to at that time because you know there were nights that i woke up in weird ass places outdoors <laughs> like at the end of the video he's like passing out on the pier and just like vomiting and it's i guess in a way it's sad to me it was funny <laughs> there's a fine line james yeah i know I, I was blurring those lines of pathetic and comedy um I mean, the puppet they made, the first puppet, because the puppet was like, I don't know, about from me to you, like about four, four feet, you know, has this little Hispanic gentleman who operated the head and then another little Hispanic gentleman who carried the rear and then another little Hispanic gentleman that would kept spraying it with water, <laughs> so, which was like, this is very intricate. <laughs> um, Puppetry's hard. The first puppet they made was like, I don't know, about 18 inches. And they sent me a bill for like $15,000. And it was like, what? Like, no, this is supposed to be reacting with me in the video. <laughs> the puppet like, is in danger of being trodden upon by a dwarf. Yeah, they're, like, they're like, well, we hope you like this. You know, it took us a long time to make this. And it was like, what are you talking about? Like, it's like, wait, is this like a miniature scale? Is this like a, you know, an architectural model? <laughs> Of what the real Loch Ness monster puppet's gonna look like, and they're like, "No, that is the real one." And it was like, <laughs> "How God, am I gonna react to this? Like, this totally what kind of tap. clever, you know, camera work are we gonna do to make this thing look huge next to me at a bar? <laughs> I'm gonna have to be like twenty feet away." 
Yeah. But they're like, no, no, it'll look great. So we did like a couple test shots and it was like, this is so dumb. (laughs) (laughs) So we put the video off for like two months while they constructed another one. Because the company um, was one of, you know, it's it's like a pretty large company in in Canada for like special Mm -hmm. effects and stuff. And uh, they just gave it to a kid that was like... That was his concept of it, and when he gave everybody the you know the sketches of what he was going to do, there were no dimensions on it. So when he turned in the eighteen inch one, people were like, "Wait a minute, <laughs> no one saw the irony." <laughs> no one, no one even watches. Even the measurement was eighteen. Even the inches. measurement. <laughs> no one watches uh, Rob Reiner's first oh, film. God, oh that that that's upsetting. That that's now I'm just offended. Yeah. Well, I, I thought it was great because it was you know, it's one of those in life like. Things that are going to go wrong will go wrong. Mm-hmm. And especially doing stuff like that where it's, you know, when you're asking other, for other people's creativity and creative input, you're always going to have differences, you know, in opinion and, and how you deal with those differences are like, I think, what separates everybody with there's people you like to work with, people who you don't. And I like being one of those people that can kind of really find the humor in everything. Because I remember, like, you know, I wasn't upset about it. Where I was like, oh my God, like you're ruining my music and video. And I'm never going to recover. It was more like, this is hilarious. <laughs> you guys made an 18 inch Loch Ness monster. <laughs> and it's like, and it is pretty awesome. Like, <laughs> this is great. And the thing was, I was like, I paid for this. Do I get to keep it? And they're like, no. And I was like, well, why not? <laughs> like, I paid for it. And they're like, well, technically, that money's not yours. And I was like, what do you mean? They're like, Vagrant paid for it. And I was like, so do Vagrant get to keep it? And they're like, no. Like, well, who gets to keep it? Like, we get to keep everything we make. We reserve the right to keep all props, everything. It was like, huh. Then you just like, smashed it. Well, right it was like, when I come to Toronto, can I borrow it? <laughs> and the guy was like, if you really want to, yeah. I've yet to take him up on the offer. And he'd be like, uh, I'm here to borrow my Loch Ness Monster. What was the other video off that record that had, um, well, there was Adam. Oh, love, love Adam, reality. Yeah, Adam Lazaro was in it. Oh, your, God. I just talked to him last night, and, uh, you know, because there's a new Fluctuation song on the new record, mm-hmm. and everybody, well, actually, there's a whole new EP, and everybody's like, you know, who's going to be in this video? Like, what, how, how homoerotic is this one going to be? And it's like, that just kind of ended up that way, because I had a Prince outfit and a Madonna outfit, and then a hotel room. $75 and a friend with a video camera. And we made that video. Nice. That was, and it was it. Like, you know, of all the thousands of dollars it costs to make other videos, that one cost 75 Oh, and $15 for the big party blow up sign we bought at Target. And it's like one of the, my favorite videos I've ever made was that video. Rollerblading on the beach in a Prince outfit. You can't beat it. <laughs> Now, there's a new Reggie EP? Yeah, well, no, a new Reggie record. Right. Um, a Fluctuation EP that comes... This, like, ties into the Kickstarter stuff. Yes. So, like, if you uh, buy the, the uh, full, like, package, it's like $100, you get everything, like, the vinyl, the, the CD with the... two. The CD's actually two CDs. It's the new record, plus it's uh, all the demos from the first records. So it's like all the demos from Greatest Hits, all the demos from Promo Copy. Um, and then it's a Fluctuation EP, which is like four new elect- electro songs. Um, and then it's also my alter ego Keith Phillips stand-up comedy record, which is not even like, it's not comedy, but that's why it's comedy. 
You're pretty close. I checked it the other day, like 40-something, yeah. right? Yeah, it, it hit 44 this morning, so I'm like 6,000 away from success. That's insane. It's crazy. I, I'm real excited about it. I mean, because I had all the songs and stuff and was wondering how to do it, and I didn't really want to... When I got introduced to Kickstarter, it was like, you know, um, Murder by Death's page. And, sorry, I think that's picking that up. Can you hear that from over there? What? I just hear that. Is that your stomach growling or oh you have my. a pacemaker? That was stomach. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, it went on for so long. <laughs> that was like a 15 second. That was more like a moan. <laughs> but uh, I'll overdub something if it doesn't pick it up. <laughs> help <laughs> the ghost of my appetite but uh it, no but so i took that that threw me way off track <laughs> so murder by death had a page oh yeah and i was checking it out and was like this is really cool because all the stuff that they're offering like you know if i would if this was around when i was younger like you know when it was like quicksand even if quicksand did a kickstarter page now i'd buy I would totally pledge a lot of money to get all the kinds of extra stuff. Um, and so I was like, oh, you know, with Reggie, like, I've always been all about making all kinds of weird little things and, you know, and also keeping the fans very, very involved and, in, like, you know, with specials where it's like, everybody meet me at, you know, Central Park at 1 p.m. and we're going to do a Reggie and the Full Effect bird tour. Or just weird stuff where it's like, you know... If Please tell me wants... that really happened. No, not yet. Okay. <laughs> we do have a hot dog tour of, uh, hot dog tour of Manhattan planned. Oh, wow. So yeah. it's just going to be just a giant ending of diarrhea. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> it just depends. I don't know. I mean, it depends on where we decide to go. Sponsored by Depends. Uh, <laughs> I could probably get some kind of weird sponsorship. <laughs> napkin company. Some dude just following us around like, no, use this one. <laughs> use this one. But, uh... It was watching their, like, seeing their Kickstarter page made me think, like, it's something that I think Reggie fans would totally be into. And uh, then, like, you know, coming up with all the incentives and stuff was a lot of fun because it's, you know, I'm an ordained minister so I can marry people. Plus, I love making up cover songs and I like, you know, recording and just, I don't know, like, I love using music and just making up songs, whether they're silly or serious or whatever. And uh, it's like, you know, updating. I update it all the time with more dumb songs or whatever, cartoons that I've drawn. I'm not a very good artist, but I'm an artist. I'm good enough to get the point across of what I'm trying to draw. Where it's like, you know, this is a picture of me just as Paco standing in front of something. <laughs> and this is the artwork for the song. But, uh, at, you know, watch. I saw Mindless Self-Indulgences page and was like, you know, that was insane. Like, bands that have raised, like, $200,000, like, I'm blown away by that. It's like, wow, like, you guys have insane fan bases. And then Kevin Devine's page did amazing. You know, it was like... So why did you get singled out by Vice? Good question. I told you I really felt about that. It was like, man, what is this dude pick? He says, like, in the first paragraph, like, I don't like this band. <laughs> it's like, so wait, so why are you yelling at me? Why are you... Tell him why you call me a has been or a washed up dude or whatever. Right after Veronica Mars makes all the money with the distribution deal by Warner Brothers yeah. for their film, it, it was it. it was interesting. Have you I thought get, of kind of releasing a rebuttal or anything? Like nah, because if anything, it did I, I think like you know for most things, I don't think Reggie fans really give a crap about Vice, but and then there's like I thought it was an art magazine. 
Like, well, well, it's not angry it, music reviews. But it probably actually, like, was... People might not have known about the Kickstarter. I, I'm sure be, it helped have, reach... Well, you know, we're, like... Well, I didn't even know about it. Sean from Coalesce texted me and was like, yo, you just got shredded in Vice. And I was like, <laughs> what, what, what's Vice? And he's like, oh, it's an online... It's a huge online magazine. I was like, okay. I remember seeing it, like, you know, like Barnes & Noble has Vice and stuff like that. Like, um, And... I, I don't know. I read it. It was like, uh, eh, this dude's my biggest fan. But uh, you've probably read bad reviews before. Oh yeah. Well, I'm like, it kind of comes to the territory where I was sort of wondering when there was going to be somebody complaining. I just feel like that dude just kind of like I don't know whether it was he meant to have it all directed towards me or he was just mad that bands are doing this with Kickstarter. We've had that discussion a lot talking yeah. about it because we we did a Kickstarter to to yeah, launch ourselves it. and we got crap for it. Which was weird because we didn't set up like a giant goal. And we got, yeah, for five grand. So I can imagine now people are like, why do you need 50 grand to make a record? That's what everybody wonders. And it's like, okay, this is not just to record the record. This is everything. Like, this is the vinyl pressing plant in Brooklyn. Like, this is setting up everything, you know, the artwork, doing the inlays. Like, this is the whole process of music, of getting it out there. Does it include PR? It does. Well... PR, that just, I mean, depends if there's money left for it. I mean, if there is, then that would be amazing. If there's not, then I have to start calling in favors from people and being like, hey, uh, Steve put me on your show, you know, <laughs> to do PR. Um, it's like, you know, just thinking about all the stuff where it's, you know, you're advertising merchandise to sell. And this is also all the shipping, which is, you know, a lot of it is overseas in Japan, um, Australia. Where it's not exact, it's it's basically the same cost of making a hoodie to ship a hoodie to right. like Japan, and it's you know and also main you know the art like the hoodie artwork. It's not that they're super expensive, but it adds up after a while. You know, if you make a thousand hoodies that are costing you fifteen dollars each, it's like that's fifteen thousand dollars. Have you thought about doing what? I remember when when Amanda Palmer got off the flack for raising a one point two. That million. was insane. But then she got all this shit for it because she she put out her budget of how she was dividing everything up. And we talked about it with other people, uh, even here, who said, I looked at that and that it doesn't have to be that way. You know, it's- well, it's the thing I'm trying to do everything as cheap as possible, mm-hmm. but at the same time, want it to be as the, the best it can be. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, you know, I'm doing it with Ed and Lawrence, Ed Rose and Lawrence again, because he did the first Reggie records and, you know. Is just and he's retiring this year, so it's like really? I want to get in and get one last Reggie record with Ed, and uh, and Ed's part of the reason why the the records the earlier records are like the way they are and funny and stuff because Ed's one of those people creatively that and he's such a cynic that he'll be like, uh, that's not that funny, James. Why don't you try something like this? <laughs> and usually he's right. So you know he, he's definitely a help in the creative process. Um, and it's just kind of like, okay, there's, give yourself a month to do that and a month in a recording studio, like in a professional recording studio with an engineer and someone, you know, that's like, you're talking about $5,000 a week, like three to $5,000 a week. And you add it all together at the end. And then you're talking about, you know, 
your travel expenses or anything that goes wrong in the studio. You also have to buy tape if you're going to do it reel to reel or hard drives mm-hmm. if you're going to do this. It's like every little thing that gets added in when you're running the whole show. And I think like, you know, you can do it super cheap. In that guy's article, it was like, I remember you said you recorded, you know, under the tray for $1,300 or whatever. And it was like, and that was done like in a week and we were lucky, like, you know, and like, I'm not happy with the way under the tray went because I didn't want to do it in a week. Um, we did it at Ed's house because we didn't have the budget to do a bigger record. Um, you know, last stop crappy town had a budget of like $50,000 and it sold like 6,000. Like it was a total flop. And it was like, but the record sounds incredible. You know, as far as like wanting it to sound a certain way that it, it worked out, but it's also t- 2013 and it's not 2001. I'm not recording this record in a bedroom, <laughs> um, you know, and uh, I'm not playing all the instruments. Like, you know, if I can afford to get professional, like friends of mine who are professionals, and of course they need to be paid for their time and stuff like that. It's just a lot of little things that add up. It's interesting that you feel like you have to justify your art when you are asking people. People don't have to donate. Well, no, the people that aren't donating are the ones who want to know where the money's going. Right. The people who have donated are like, I don't give a shit. Just give me the record. <laughs> like, I just want to hear the songs. It's like your peers are like, well, you know, you can't factor in like ice cream and cereal into your record budget. And it's like, I Why wasn't. Not? Yeah, you were. Why couldn't you? Oh, no, you can't. I mean, sure you can. <laughs> you know, if that's how you want to roll, then ice cream and cereal every day in the studio. But, uh, it's, it's weird because it is really like, it's more the peers. And, um, and I don't know, I, I really don't know where it comes from. It's more like you should be supportive of one another and be like, yo, I hope your Kickstarter works. I hope that this goes well. Not like, I'm like, how dare you ask for that much money? Like, I, I think it's because it's something new. And I feel like no one know, has figured out, like, it's kind of uncharted territory a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it is. And I think it's great because it, it, I sit and it's it's been insane because with all the other stuff going on, I sit on the computer all day talking to the pleasures or the backers, you know, because they have questions about stuff. And that's, you know, you have to answer their questions and they want to know about the private shows. They want to know about the vinyl. They want to know. And, you know, I answer their questions all day. And some of them ask me the same question every other day. They're just psyched that you're responding, and that's cool. That's what Andrew Ellis told me. He's like, some of these kids just want you to respond. And it's like, well, you know, it's they've pledged $20. Like, I'll respond to them. Like, you know, I'll try to answer their question, even if it is about Gerard. (laughs) (laughs) I'll do my best to answer it, get them focused back to the Reggie record. (laughs) And How uh, many questions are you getting about the MCR breakup? Not as many (laughs) as... At first, like, well, what was it, like two weeks ago? Then there were more. Um, but uh, now it's really more filtered down to like, you know, f- uh, with Frank and, uh, Frank and I announcing that we have another thing called Death Spells. Now it's people asking like, you know, when when's Death Spells coming to Atlanta? When's Death Spells putting out a record? Blah, blah, blah. Um, Who's doing what on that? Yeah. Are you like are you singing? Is Frank? Oh, Frank sings. Okay. I just do all the music. Okay, it's another one of those things where when I was in California working on the MCR record, um, you know, we'd be at the, I lived across the street from the recording studio, so my apartment 
was like me sitting there with my computer and keyboard, or I was at the recording studio, just you know making up songs, like whether electronic or rock or whatever, like just have all this stuff. And <clears throat> at the end of you know coming back to New York in October, I was like, I have all this music, and you know Frank. I had sent him a bunch of the electronic stuff and I was like, we should do like an industrial band, like just for fun, like something electronic and just whatever. And Frank's like, yeah. So we started making up vocals to this stuff and we've ended up with like 13 or 14 songs and, you know, got offered to open up for mindless self-indulgence. And so now we have a live show worked out and it's going to be interesting. Our very first show is in front of like 2000 people in Baltimore. So we've never performed live yet except for, uh, like the dude at the rehearsal space in New Jersey, he was like, "Yeah, it's pretty cool." <laughs> Is it just both of you? Is it just two? People? It's just two people. Oh wow! Yeah, it, it's it's audio. It's a more of an audio visual thing, where it's like you know we're cutting and pasting videos. Uh, you know, there's a lot of synthesizers. It's a, it's and, a techno band. Yeah, basically. Yeah. How did you end up in My Chemical Romance? Like, because you're Newfound Glory, and then you're in My Chemical Romance. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, it was right at the end of Reggie, like the, the, like, uh, I'd been, I'd had a real bad falling out with my manager, um, bad falling out with the accountant. Like basically for some reason, every time I went out on tour with Reggie, I was losing $8,000. I know and it was always $8,000, like three separate times, $8,000 at the end of the tour is gone. And you know, and like there's all this finger pointing and all this. And this was after I stopped using drugs, so they couldn't point the finger at me anymore. And I'm like, you know, well, I'm off drugs and alcohol, so I don't know where this money's going. Now it's making me wonder if the previous times, like, you know, what a, to me, it was like, you guys are in charge of handling the business sides, and this is the business side. Like, my job is to fulfill the touring and the songwriting and stuff. They get paid. Before I get paid, so why are they not doing, you know, anyways? And then they take it off the top, which yeah. people don't realize. But that was my problem with it, and, you know, it ended up blowing into a huge fight. Um, and while this is going on, Gerard calls me and is like, hey, we just fired our keyboard player. Can you fly up tonight and play? You know, we have a show tomorrow. And I was like, well, tonight's too late. Can I fly up tomorrow morning? Flew up to Vermont or New Hampshire and started playing with him the very first night of Black Parade. Um, got fitted for my Black Parade jacket that morning. It showed up that night, like five minutes before I went on stage. Learned all the songs in like an hour, and played in it for seven years. Because <laughs> they would play that whole record, yeah, front to back. And then I started playing on Revenge too, because there are a couple keyboard parts in Revenge that they wanted. You learned all that whole record in an hour. I hope for those of you listening, how much of a badass James is when it comes to music. It's weird. I have an ear for that. Like we could play a game if you if we had a keyboard here, where you would play me something, I could play it right back to you. I used to do it in Lawrence. That was like uh, the the drunk bar trick that people would do, like stump James, and they would play a song on the radio for like thirty seconds, and then I had like five seconds to figure it out and play it right back. Really? Yeah. Dude, I hate you. No, it's just one of those, yeah, but, like, I can't, you know, I'm the worst at doing other stuff. Like, I You can't. have pitch and stuff, like, natural pitch? Yeah. You do. Yeah. You're it's, it's weird. <laughs> I, I just feel like, you know, it's, it's, it's a gift that I, I have. I don't know why, but it's a fun thing to do. I mean, it's a fun it's trick. Awesome. It's not, I don't consider myself, like, an idiot savant, because I think that's weird. 
Well, I don't have <laughs> autism or anything. So. No, it's just like, you know, it's just one of those skills. People, they say that, you know, that you can develop some of that, but mostly the people that are good at it seem to just have it, right? Yeah, it, it was in school, it was, uh, there's a, a class, you know, a conservatory called ear training, mm-hmm. where uh, a guy or like the teacher will play a line on the piano and let it be like six or seven notes. And you basically have to write down what they are and then, you know, go from there. Or you have to sing it right back to him. And it was weird. It was like, you know, it was the only class I think I got like a hundred percent in <laughs> where it was like kids would be like pissed because I'd be in their group or if I wasn't in their group, people would be like, whatever. <laughs> it's like sightseeing out stuff is so hard if you're not, if it's not part of. I was never good at it, and I would study so hard, and I could never do it. And I feel like either you have it or you don't. So yeah, it, and it's weird when you meet, like, you know, in music school, there would be people who are really good at it, and then there are people who can read like crazy but don't have an ear. Right. So they, they really don't know how, like, to make something sound. Like, they know how to play it good, but they don't know how to make it sound good. And I don't know. It's just one of those things where since I was a little kid, like, my brother took piano lessons before I did, and he can do it too, where he would figure out how to play like Pet Shop Boys songs or Terrence Trent Darby or uh, the Raiders of the Lost Ark theme. <laughs> and I remember like our my first piano teacher let me play Close Encounters, but I didn't look at the music at all. I just knew it because I knew the song from the movie. It was right. like, bum, 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 bum. It was like, yes, like this song is great. That's my recital at like seven years old. And, I remember my teacher always being like, no, follow the music. And I was like, but in the movie, the theme goes like this. And she's like, you're not following the movie. You're playing it off this. It's like, I don't want to play the sheet music. I want to play it the way it is in the, the way movie. It really is. I want to see the aliens in my mind. <laughs> can you do that with other instruments? Oh, uh, yeah, pretty much. I mean, once if you can get a, a tone out of stuff. Wow. You know, Even drums? Yeah. Well, you just follow someone else's beat. Yeah. But, like, but still. Like, don't I've- ask me to play like jazz. <laughs> I heard when I t- gave drum lessons, there was this kid named Max who used to show up in like Umbros with a ten dollar bill in his pants, like a knife and drumsticks in his teeth, with no shirt on and no shoes, at like nine p.m. at night, and be like, "My grandma just dropped me off." <laughs> like, Max, what are you doing here? It's Tuesday, and he'd be like, "I'm here for my drum lesson." <laughs> like, okay, what do you want to learn? I want to learn that Neil Peart song. It's like, what? Like, rush, man. <laughs> like, okay, well, you got to give me a chance to kind of study this for a minute. Like, no, no, Tom Sawyer, let's go. <laughs> and like, because I needed $10 to go downstairs. Like, like, Max, go in the garage. And he'd go in the garage and give him like a, I mean, he was like 17, but he'd give him like a cigarette. Like, go in the garage, Max, smoke this cigarette. And Max would come back in and I'd have like the first four bars figured out. And, uh, be able to play it for Max and be like, okay, follow what I do, Max. Here's the drum beat, the beginning of Tom Sawyer. And have Max totally botch it, like horribly. And just be like, okay, now work on that for 20 minutes. Call your grandma. <laughs> <laughs> Tell her to come get you. Give me my $10. <laughs> Why you have a knife? <laughs> I remember my mom came into my room and she was like, James, uh, one of your students is outside and he's only got on soccer shorts and he's got a knife. <laughs> it's like... It's got to be Max. This is the same kid who one time stole Where were you him. teaching, Beirut? <laughs> no, Liberty, Missouri. <laughs> he stole a motorcycle because it was in someone's front yard. 
and he was tired of walking. <laughs> so it was like one of those little pup bikes, you know, like like a fifty cc, yeah. like something you see like crew guys cruising around on Warp Tour because they're badass. Yeah. <laughs> like he uh, just stole it. <laughs> He stole it out of someone's yard and shows up at our friend's house with it. And we're like, where'd you get that motorcycle? And he's like, I found it. And then at the end of the night, he took it back on his way home. Because it was his neighbor. Like, I guess he walked past his neighbor's house, saw the bike sitting there. And it's the kind that doesn't need a key, I guess. Yeah. And he started it, rode it over to our friend Conrad's. We drove around on it all night. And about three o'clock in the morning, he drove home, dropped it off in their yard. And then walked back to his house. Oh, Max. It's like, well, he also went to prison. This is funny. He also went to prison for breaking into the church across the street from his grandma's house, stealing all the musical equipment, the PA, the bass amp, keyboards, guitars, all that stuff. His grandma lived on like a, a busy, like, you know, sort of highway. And they ran across this highway. With the gear? Well, they had to wait for traffic to stop. <laughs> so they were holding all this like first Presbyterian church written on like the base amp. Him and his friend like standing on the side of the road waiting for like cars to go by and for a break for them to like waddle back across the highway with these huge amplifiers and keyboards that all say first Presbyterian church. And the place that they're coming from has a huge sign that says first Presbyterian church. So... They're walking into this tiny house across the road, and like someone was like, I think somebody's breaking into the church and stealing all the gear and moving it across the street. Because I guess the cops showed up, and we're pounding on his grandma's door, and we're like, all right, we know you did it. Like, And he's like, did what? And they're like, we can see all the equipment in the living room. It all says First Presbyterian Church on it. You're going to tell us, like, no, this said we could have it. And they're like... <laughs> Maybe they did. They don't have to pay any taxes. Yeah. I mean, can oh, I just say, can I just say, please, can we please note that the gateway that Neil Pert leads to prison? Can we make that connection here now? Yeah, yeah. So, kids, Eventually. just don't try to learn Neil Pert's. Don't learn Tom's story. Let, leave it to Neil. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I know. Sorry, I went off on a You'll tangent. Go to prison. Of course. And that story is just too funny. That, that story is amazing. He was pretty amazing. Like, <laughs> his, uh, he kept, you know, like, when I had students and stuff, like, they would perform, so I would try to go check out them performing. Like, I had one kid uh, who actually made it, like, to nationals as a percussionist, and it was like, that was my kid. Like, you know, I taught him roughs. Like, I, nice. I, I was his first exposure to rudiments. But, um, <laughs> but uh, like, Max, on the other hand, he went the other way. <laughs> but, <laughs> says, Do you still teach? Uh, no, I've thought about it. My schedule is too busy. I thought about, I used to teach piano, too. And, uh, like, teaching basic percussion and basic piano. Like, it's a lot of fun teaching little kids. I mean, it's just, it's amazing because, you know, they kids either want to do it or they don't. Like, one of my percussion students, his parents would pay me a lot of money to play Top Gun on Nintendo. Because that was all we did for 30 minutes. <laughs> like, it'd show up and you'd be like, whatever. <laughs> like, check out this cool, he had the Top Gun chair. Like, uh... You remember that was the Air Force chair that came that you could buy for the Nintendo that hooked up and it had the controls in the yeah. arms and that was like the Top Gun chair. And you it's got amazing. to be and you got to be Goose. No, I think I was Maverick. I mean, everybody that played was Maverick. <laughs> but uh, I remember him sitting there. He would like you know watch TV or we'd play Nintendo or whatever. Never touched his snare drum. 
And then finally his mom was like, you can take that home with you one night. And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, he's never going to use it. He told us how much he hates it. He likes you, but he hates that. So I went, <laughs> Can I have the top like, gun share? Yeah, well, I wish that was what she gave me. She gave me like his Ludwig snare drum, but oh, there's nice. still like $300. Like, yeah, you know, you were just a babysitter. So your focus now is Reggie, because it seems like you've done so many bands over the years. You have this thing with Frank, but is Reggie kind of for the next year? Is that kind of your main? Yeah, well, I, I, I want to keep everything going. Like Reggie's definitely going to take more of my time than anything else, but uh, Matt and I have like the new thing going too, and uh, we just had an EP. I think it comes out on like Record Store Day or somewhere close to that, and it's on EVR. So what's that called? It's just we're calling it Matt and James because okay. between him and me, like. Him and me is not too bad, though. Um, but between <laughs> both of us, we have so many band names. Like, Matt's got a ton. Like, Matt's got Los Sorda, New Amsterdam's, Matt Pryor, the Get Up Kids. Um, we were like, you know, let's just not mess with the name. Because then it's like, you know, everyone's like, oh, you need to worry about branding. I'm like, that's just a new term. Because, you know, back in the day, and when I say back in the day, I mean, like, the turn of the century. <laughs> Like, no one talked about branding. It was just kind of like, you know, people identified you with what you did. And, uh, we're like, instead of worrying about it, let's just call it Matt and James. And like, well, people are going to get that confused with Matt and Kim. It's like, I don't think so. I don't think so either. <laughs> like, not at all. But that'll um, be a good tour. I said that we could be the Matt, Matt, James, and Kim tour. <laughs> and actually, together, we would make a full band. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we could play their songs and our songs as a four piece it would be wonderful yeah. i love them like they were on the honda civic tour with mcr and i got to know them and stuff and they're a lot of fun that'd be great yeah. they're pretty crazy to hang out with yeah they're like they're, that's just a good time like yeah. i think they got the formula down <laughs> like you just know be happy and be nice to everybody and but you know, and th that's and th your song should be good too. Yeah, yeah. but like wow. the philosophy of it of being like just you know you're lucky to be doing what you're doing, so you should never take that for granted. And I've never understood people that are like just negative. I mean, I know there's negative people out there, but it's like you know when you like people in larger bands who have you know ten thousand people coming paying fifty dollars to see you every night and. You have anything you want, but yet you are still a miserable sack of yeah. shit. And it's a hassle to get up there on that stage. Yeah, it's, and it's like, you know, they've made everything so called. Ugh, these people are annoying me. Yeah. These fans <laughs> that fucking love me and buy my merch for $75 a hoodie and, you know, want to sleep with me for no reason. <laughs> like, fuck them. Like, <laughs> why would you be like that? Like, I, that to me is, it's like, you know what? Like you should be giving away all of your clothing, like to these people, mm -hmm. because they're allowing it so that you, if you're very, if you're smart enough, you'll never have to work a day in your life, and you're like, you know, and there's a very select group of people that are allowed to reach that level, or around, allowed to make a living doing, being in a band, or, or just having support, and you know, I'm lucky enough that I have been able to make a living being a musician, and it's blown my mind, but you know, it. Like, Matt and Kim, like, they're the same way. Like, when I first met them and from talking to them, it was like, you guys, like, we get along. Like, right. you know, you just know sometimes, like, you're like, you guys are on the same wavelength as me when it comes down to being a musician. You're just happy to be here. Yeah. You know? And if it, if it wasn't here and it was someplace shitty, you'd still be happy to be there. Because right. you're happy to be doing what you're doing. And, and I think it shows, yeah, that if people are negative, they're going to be negative no matter how successful they are. Isn't it, yeah, it blows my mind when there's just negative people. Where it's like, wait, 
Why? Why do you hate everything? It's some kid in Kansas City once that was just telling me one night, and he was like, "I hate everything you do." And I was like, "And you hate me enough to come and tell me that in person?" <laughs> like, it's like, why would you even waste your time to come tell me? He's like, "It's like just looking at you makes me so mad." <laughs> And I was like, nothing I've done? Like do, like, do you like music at all? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, so you don't like Coalesce? No. Stupid. <laughs> like, you don't like the Get Up Kids? No. It's fucking chick band. Okay. It's like, you don't like Newfound Glory? No. It's stupid, too. <laughs> like, you don't like Reggie and the Full Effect? Don't even get me started about how stupid that is. <laughs> and then it's like, um... Because like, I really think I've covered a broad spectrum of styles here. So it's like, what style do you like? And he's like, rockabilly. <laughs> like, I haven't done that one. He's like, well, don't even mess with it, man. It's like, oh, want you ruining that one, too. <laughs> I was like, can I buy you a beer? And, yeah. Uh, but I'm taking it with anger. Like, totally, like, he didn't say that part. But, like, you know, you could tell it was like, let me buy you a beer and a shot. Like, doesn't mean we can't be friends. It's like, yes, it does. <laughs> like, the fact that I hate everything you do means I cannot be your friend. <laughs> and it's like, well, what if I don't like what you do for a living, you know, mechanic? <laughs> <laughs> Subway sandwich maker? I come in and sandwich judge artist. you. Yeah, I'm oh, sorry, sandwich artist. <laughs> like, I'll come in and make fun of you, tell you what you, that sandwich sucks. <laughs> Yeah. Cold cut combo? Horrible. <laughs> what do you like? I like sandwiches without bread. <laughs> Just, uh, you know, flip the tides. <laughs> Turn them tables. But, uh, it, yeah, negativity is something weird. I mean, everybody has bad luck. Everybody has bad things happen, like, you know, in life. Like, that's kind of like life is learning how to deal with things that are beyond your control going wrong, you know. And that's just it. It's like, I think you can judge, not judge people, but you can uh, really know a person by the way they deal with those situations. And, you know, I've been lucky enough to have lots of people close to me who are a lot similar to me. So, you know, like it could be the end of the world and we'd just figure like, well, there's nothing we can do. So what do you got? We'll just figure out something fun to do for like 20 minutes until it happens. But you've also taken a lot of negative experiences on paper, like a divorce or yeah. drugs and stuff and put it into music in kind of a humorous way, which I feel like a lot of people. It's, I, I think can't. it's being able to look at yourself and look at your mistakes or anything you do wrong and, and not, you know, let it define you and more like letting it inspire you. And, uh, with like the drug thing, it was like, you know, when I, when that became, a problem and it was like you know and looking at it now i'm like oh like how how did i let this happen like i knew I, I was better than that like i knew i was and then it was like no you know what i wasn't i'm normal like you know i made a mistake and now what the thing to do is not wallow in my mistakes and let it like consume me but move forward and say like okay well that happened it's never going to happen again but, by the way, there were some really funny dudes at rehab. <laughs> and uh, even, like, going to rehab was, like, as as bizarre and, and, and crappy as it was, it was funny. <laughs> the only white kid. And, you know, it was, like, group time and everybody's talking. Like, I'm the only one. It was my first time there. I was the only one who it was my first time there. there were pe and it was, I like, you know. My 
uh, I wish the best for everybody that wants to recover from something like that because it, it is tough and it's drugs and it's an addiction. And, you know, for some people, it's a lot harder than for other people. And, uh, but man, some of them tell some crazy stories. And the thing is, like, a lot of them don't even think that what they've done is wrong, which blew my mind. Or it was like, you know, this guy was like, only reason I'm here is because my wife says I threw her down the stairs and I, st- she fell. <laughs> she was drunk. And it's like, she fell because she was drunk. And it's like, I can see how that situation would be a little bit confusing to everybody involved. Because <laughs> you're wasted. She's wasted. Somehow she's at the bottom of the stairs and the cops have been called. <laughs> so, you know, you probably should take that with a grain of salt and just kind of show up to rehab. Do what you got to do. Then go home. So maybe not be in that situation. Yeah, again. try not. That's yeah. the thing. That the goal is avoid that situation. <laughs> yeah. Then there was a dude who used to show up and sell bootleg DVDs. And, like, the cops, you know, cops would bring in people that were ordered by courts to attend stuff. So, um, What did you do, the Salvation Army rehab? Or? No, it was, like, uh, state, New York State, okay. down by Coney Island. Some of those are, I mean, with the court-appointed ones, sometimes you <coughs> the Salvation Army, which is hardcore. I had some friends go through that. Well, they had people that, you know, would come in and uh, they'd bring them in in the orange suits. And this dude had, like, a big scar from, like, his nose to his ear. And it was totally a knife scar totally like someone tried to slice this dude's face and uh i remember he looked just like uh that Ke- what's his name kevin something that dated britney spears or the father of her baby Federline? kevin Federline looked just like him and i remember sitting there and be like is that kevin Federline? <laughs> like does he really have a knife scar and just like hollywood's never let us know and i was sitting there staring at him and like he's looking at me and i must have been daydreaming and that dude was like, the fuck you looking at? And I was like, I'm sorry, Kevin. <laughs> but uh, one dude, like, got up once and threw a chair across the room. And was like, this isn't working. And just threw a chair. And then we heard him peel out in his truck. And the, uh, the instructor was like, well, you know, this doesn't work for everybody. And then, like, a week later, he was back. And he's like, I'm sorry. Sorry about the chair. Sorry about peeling out. <laughs> like okay that's so like you're throwing the drum story at all yeah uh you know but uh did you only go once yeah i just did that that did one, one summer because it was it was just something where moving to new york i really got into like the nightlife and being out you know and djing and stuff and there it's new york you know there's plenty of people who are ready to take the party somewhere else at 5 a.m and so you know, me being me, I'm very agreeable and like, you know, hey, James, do you want to go to the after party, after party, after party yeah. at 7 a.m.? Like, well, yes, I do. <laughs> like, okay, I'll be there. I remember being on some tour with you and going to Misshapes with you and then everyone was leaving like when it was closing and it, you were supposed to, and then it's like, no, James is going somewhere else. And it was like, dude, what's even open in New York? They're like, yeah, they found some place. Like yeah, there's always some place. Yeah. And like, you know, and when you get to know like owners and, and like all the club people, it's like every night, you know, and it's the same people and they're not bad people. Everybody's just, this, this is the nightlife of New York and it is tons of fun, <laughs> like but it's too much fun, especially for me being from Liberty, Missouri, where it was like, you know, I just got overwhelmed by it. And then, you know, it took taking that step back to be like, okay, I could still be me without all the me that was going on there. <laughs> like. You know, because I was never into it before, and, like, you know, I wasn't a big drug person or a big drinker that, like, you know, 
alcohol. I liked weed when I was in high school, but that's about it. It's just, it's never been my personality. So, you know, I'm just kind of, I call that period Dark James. <laughs> that was dark. Like, like Last Stop Crappy Town, Dark James. <laughs> Some of the songs are not get married to. It's still Reggie, but a lot of it's Dark James. It's a dark record. It, it it's is a but, dark fucking album. Too. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, and <clears throat> it was like, you know, me trying to kid myself that going through a divorce was going to be easy and saying like, oh, this is just like breaking up with somebody it just costs a little bit more money. No, <laughs> it costs a shit ton of money and it's like life ending. Like it, it's like, you know, there are times when I'm looking at paperwork and I'm like, I, I'm never going to get through this. I'm never going to be able to, to do this. And it, it was painful. And I don't recommend it for anybody. I recommend, you know, try to work it out. If you're having marital problems, if it's a must happen thing, then I'm sorry that it has to happen. But if it's not and you can work it out, work it out because that's kind of the point of marriage is that if you shouldn't have to get to that place but if you if you if you have tried every avenue and that's yeah, the only amicable the, solution and you know. they say you know like like 50 percent of marriages now end in divorce and it's like so then why are that 50 percent of people getting married <laughs> like you could because people get married in the infatuation phase and they don't realize that it's work and that you it's hard you know yeah I mean? and it's getting harder you i know, think but you've, you've been remarried for how long now seven years see i yeah. mean it's it's just it's how it if that's what had to happen at that point, then it did. You know? Yeah, and and you know, and it, it is it, the partnership part of it is, I think, what's the most important is you know having the like the life that I have. That's for the time I was in MCR, being gone all the time. It's like you know, it's not easy, but at the same time, there is an easiness to it because every time we got together, it was like you know, we only have four days to hang out, so let's do everything possible in four days. Mm-hmm. So you end up having like these four-day amazing field trip party kind of things where it's like we have to have chinese food twice we have to go to this place we have to go see four movies we have to sit on the couch and play with the dogs like here's our days and then we ended up usually just hanging out in our pajamas for four days like eating bacon (laughs) (laughs) you still have the bulldogs yeah i got uh three now and then one newfoundland because you you got a newfoundland yeah sweet jesus so like did you ride it here i wish she got bad hips. I would totally ride that oh, dog. Oh, the big though. dogs. Yeah. Up, that's and uh, she, her name's Maggie, and she's a big sweetie. Her drool is toxic. Um, Dude, that's the thing with those big fucking dogs, man. Like She's the water dog, and we have a pool, and she does not like getting in the pool. It's she big. has webbed paws. Like, she's meant to swim. Like, if I put, like, uh, okay, this is not being cruel Aren't to my dog. Aren't the webbed paws the for pool. snow? No, they're for swimming. She's a water dog. She's the Newfoundland. They're rescue dogs. Like, they'll swim out and grab you whenever i'm in the pool if i like splash by her she tries to like lunge in with her head and like grab me with her teeth like you know to pull me out of the water that's her natural yeah. instinct it never works i mean she's also big and slow but, um, <laughs> so if you're really drowning it's really not a whole lot. yeah she's gonna stand there and be like wolf <laughs> wolf but uh i'll push her in the pool sometimes just because it's like maggie you could swim uh, you know, when she's in the water, like her paws touch the bottom of the pool and her head's above the water. So she could just walk. <laughs> she doesn't have to swim. But she gets in and she's just kind of like, what am I supposed to do now, you son of a bitch? <laughs> and I could eat you. Yeah. But then she like finally starts to move and like figures out like, oh, this is kind of cool. So she'll move her paws a little bit and then swim right back to the steps and climb out of the pool. And then that's it. The rest of the summer, she won't even go. Is she on the a rescue deck. too? Because remember, your bulldogs were from rescue, right? Uh, no, she's not. She was. Uh, she's from a breeder in Pennsylvania. Okay. 
and uh, our f- like, someone who breeds giants. Yeah, but they are the cutest puppies, though. Yeah, I mean, she as a puppy was as big as our bulldog Tallulah, which was funny because it was like you know you see this in the dark, you can't see her because she's completely like she is the goth dog, <laughs> all black, black everything. Like she is murdered out. Newfoundland <laughs> and I remember like it was she was a baby and I was in bed and laying there and uh I just hear this <laughs> and I was like where's it coming from like I know it's Maggie where are you it's like Maggie where are you they're like <laughs> and then all of a sudden I got this like whack across the face and it was Maggie's paw and I look up, yeah. and there are these two eyes, like, you're just right in my face. Like, her mouth was right on my face. And I was like, what are you doing? She's a ninja. Oh, yeah, no, totally. That's, like, stealth breathing, I guess. <laughs> but uh, she had to go out. But, like, you know. She either had to go out. She was just letting you know it anytime. Yeah, that anytime. I will be right here. <laughs> yeah, I remember... Uh, she uh, she did that a couple of times. One time I woke up with her on my chest and I couldn't figure out why my chest was so heavy because it was dark. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, 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 in the bed. And then it's like I go and touch. I'm like, furry. I'm like, oh, I, fucking I'm Maggie. I'm having a heart attack like, and I'm furry. Yeah, I'm like, <laughs> what is on me? It's something furry. It's a nightmare. Monsters are sitting on me. And like, no, it's Maggie because I knew her. Like, That's a hell of a way to wake up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the... The, the new thing now with the Bulldogs is uh, I've been home for a while, which normally I'm not. So I'm there like snuggle buddy. So I have three and two of them are pretty large. Um, and the large ones like to lay on me. Well, they're dense. Yeah, the that's they're, they're just dead weight. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and they sleep most of the day. <laughs> so if I'm like working on the computer, like I'll end up and my chair for the computer is about this size. And I'll end up with like. Tallulah, the oldest bulldog who, like, you know, wants to get on my lap. And she'll claw into my leg and pull herself up onto my lap. Well, then that pisses off Willie, the middle bulldog, because then she wants to come somewhere. So if I'm not careful, I end up with an all-out bulldog brawl. <laughs> like, dog, we bought every DVD the Dog Whisperer came out with just to find the bulldog clips. <laughs> so we are like, what do we do with these two? Like, ever since we brought Willie back, like, a. Uh, Lou was like two when we brought Willie home. And when Willie turned one and Lou was three, it has been, you know, like cage match <laughs> in our house. If we if we don't pay attention to them like, and watch them, they will tear each other apart. We've had to go to the dog emergency room so many times. And it's over like nothing. Just these two alpha dogs that have standoffs. <laughs> it's over nothing to you. But yeah, well, exactly. It's <laughs> over, like, no, that's my section of the couch and you... I saw you brush my blanket. Why are you staring at me that way? Probably the same things people get into fights to at bars. <laughs> yeah. Like, when you really break it down, it's like, you bump me. Fuck you. <laughs> <True>. <laughs> you know, I don't like the way that guy's looking at me. It's like, dogs are doing the same thing. Like, you brushed me. So, so we're waiting on uh, the new Reggie record and then a tour, or a big tour. Yeah, the tour will probably be December, January. Okay. It just depends if the Kickstarter succeeds. Everything green lights and goes into full effect, no pun, um, in June. And cool. that starts 
And, you know, once that's done, it's basically everybody that's pledged will get, you know, the digital download comes immediately when it's mastered. But uh, the physical record and vinyl, you know, it takes a little bit more time. Vinyl, I guess, is like three months. And the tour and then party on. Yeah, tour of Matt and James, uh, full-length record, Death Bell's record, Death Bell's tour. We, now we're starting to get more offers from people. And, so uh, basically, it's nothing new for you. You always have a lot going on. Yeah, trying to. Well, then I've been trying to do a lot of like scoring stuff. Like We did a song for the Rizzo's movie, The Man with the Iron Fists. If you if you watch the movie, um, the fight scene in the whorehouse at the end. You scored it. Yeah, me and uh, the other dudes in MCR. Like it didn't get released as a My Chemical Romance song because there's no vocals or anything on it. But uh, that was like you know us putting songs in a movie, and I'm hoping to do some more of that. And I really want to get into video game music because I love it. It's like just, you know, it's it's like samples where you just write like a two-minute blip of music and they put it on a loop. Except for Skyrim. <laughs> That's like an epic soundtrack. Cool, thanks. No sweat. That was a good, that was good. I always want to end with Rim. I know a lot of you could just listen to James talk forever. I know we could. Yeah. And we made him talk forever after we ended the podcast. <laughs> I know. We That's kept true. going. We had a whole other podcast yeah, after we, did. we turned uh, off the tape machine that we, that we can't later. air. So just can't, if, sadly can't air. If you think we talked about it, we did. <laughs> if you want to ask us what we talked about, we won't answer you, but you can go to facebook.com slash going off track. You can go to our podcast website and listen to all the episodes. You can donate to our podcast. You can listen to us on iTunes. You can follow us on Twitter. Um, we're going to do a, a ton of Vine videos for kicks that we're, that we're not going to do that. No, but, no point. but if you do donate more than $500, we'll go sit down with you in a bar and tell you what he told us. Yeah, that's a deal. All right, fine. Yeah, that's I'm in. Um, we're gonna do another live one at some point. We yes, were talking about that. We we did a launch one, and we did one of I don't know, like six months ago or something. Oh, it was longer than that. Was it? <laughs> yeah, it was about a year. <laughs> so yeah, we're overdue. So keep an eye out for that. Because the hangover from the last one's just starting Dude. to wane. <laughs> that was. Rough. I honestly can't. Like I've listened to parts of that one, but I'm like, man, I like can't really listen to it. <laughs> So if you want to watch us and listen to us drink again, yeah. it's going to happen. <laughs> yes. If you thought we had no inhibitions before, check us out on yeah. Five Points. You thought there were a lot of bad puns in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> Wait until six beers. <laughs> and I start talking about the Simbaism in The Lion King. Yeah. <laughs> nice work. Or for me, one beer. <laughs> All right. We'll see you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 